Today, I'm asking you to open up your hearts and ears as I preach to you a message about fathers. But this also can be applicable to all of us. It really can. So if you're not a father, that doesn't mean you need to tune out today because it really is something that all of us can glean from and learn from today. All right. So uh, I want you to open your ears and hearts to that as we look at the scriptures today. Um, Look at Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse number 11. Luke 15, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them and his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions on prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and journeyed himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare that I may perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great far off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. and Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and let us be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive, for he was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandments at that time, and yet you have never killed the young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as his son, but as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. And this morning, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, the Christian father, the Christian father. Father, we pray that you add the blessing to the preaching of the word. And I pray that everything that is said and everything that's done would bring you the glory. And everyone said there was a story told years ago of a young woman in her 30s. She was single, she was alone, and she was teary-eyed. 
She came to her pastor and explained to him that she was desperate to find a man. She explained to the pastor that she felt like her time was running out and she was afraid that marriage was going to bypass her. Her hopes of being a mother and a wife maybe was going to be a distant memory if she didn't find a man. The pastor politely asked her, what kind of man are you looking for? Well, without any hesitation, she quickly began to tell the pastor what kind of man she was looking for. She said, Pastor, I want a tall and dark man. I, I don't want his nose to be too big. I just want his nose just to be right. I prefer dark eyes, maybe just a little sparkle in his eyes. Pastor, I don't really like receding hairlines. I want somebody as sweet as my daddy. And pastor, don't forget, I want somebody who can dress like my Uncle Henry. And pastor, I really want somebody with at least a master's degree in bioengineering. And after 30 minutes of her sitting there explaining to the pastor her ideal perfect man, the pastor said, my, my, sis, that's a long list that you have there. I'm just wondering if you could just give me one word that would describe the type of man that you are looking for. Well, of course, without hesitation, she looks at the pastor and says, I am looking at a, I am looking for a total man. Pastor went, <clears throat> well, excuse me, uh, miss, but I'm not sure if that man exists. Now, I know some of you think that you're the total package. I know some of you men out there, you know, you've got, you know, those big muscles and, you know, your wife just makes over you about how good looking you are. You really think you're all that, don't you? I mean, you really think you've got it together. I mean, you, you like for people to say how good you look and how you got it together. And awesome if you feel that way. But not all of us can be the total package. Not all of us can be Andy Griffin. You know, we, we just can't be him. Can we? We can't be him. And we, you know, I know some of you think of this, and you know, I always want to be this type of person, but you know, Tiffany, I'm sorry, you're not going to get a Tim Allen. You know, you're just not going to get a Tim Allen. Or, you know, some of you think you're, you're Mr. Carl, don't you? you? You just think you got it all together. Or Mike Brady, you know, the all-American man. You know, he, he has the total package, don't he? And let's not forget, are you all ready for this? Everybody give me a drum roll. Old Danny Tanner. We can't forget him on Full House. I mean, I just want to break it down to you men. We can't be the total package, can we? Let's face it. Our women, our kids our family, our friends think that we're the total package and we want to be the total package. But let's face it, we can't be. You know why we can't be? Because all of us is broken and all of us is flawed. And no matter how bad you want to be the total package, we just can't be. I'm sorry. Nobody has it together all the time. And nobody can fulfill the demands of life. We, they, we just can't do it. But the good news is this. 
You don't have to be a superman to be a super father. And you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a flawless person to be a father. And you certainly don't have to be perfect to be pure. There is hope. Have you ever wondered, let me just throw this out at you. Have you ever wondered the difference that the church makes over mothers and fathers? I mean, when we have Mother's Day, it seems like the preacher is full of grace. The preacher is full of encouragement. The preacher just builds our mothers up. But in my experience on Father's Day, it seems like a lot of preachers just get up and beat up the fathers, you know? We just get them and beat them up. We tell them they need to take responsibility. You need to grow up and you don't need to be a deadbeat dad and you need to do this and need to do that. But let me just remind you today, I am not going to beat up the dads today. I'm not going to beat up the dads. I, I mean, I encourage the mothers and I'm going to encourage the fathers today, all right? Can I hear an amen? I'm not going to beat up the dads. I'm tired of the beat up dad sermons, all right? Our fathers are under enough pressure the way it is. But you say, Pastor, but we live in a fatherless society. And I would agree with you, we do live in a fatherless society. I, I agree with you. There are some major concerns in our society that we should be concerned about as a nation and even as a community of faith, we should be concerned about it. It's true. We do live in a fatherless society. The absence of a father in a child's life really does affect him or her in years to come. And there is a difference between somebody who contributes to making a baby than somebody actually being a father. There is a difference between a father being present and a father being emotionally present. There's a big difference. We got some great fathers who know how to provide for their children, but yet has lacked in the emotional support. They have lacked in the emotional and spiritual support. You see, a Christian father is more than just providing for your family. A Christian father is a father who knows how to discipline, a father who is there emotionally, and a father there is there to lead them spiritually. So yes, I mean, there's more to Father's Day than just a few sermons and a few scriptures. And there are concerns that I have and that we should have as a nation and as a community of faith. Being a Christian father is more than just going to church. It is being actively involved in that child's life and in your family's life. It's being a leader. And leadership is about influence. And you certainly have influence with your children, your spouse, your friends, and your family. But I want to say this. Even though I have concerns about the nation that we live in, the absentee fathers, a fatherless society, fathers not taking up the responsibility of being the leader. There are deep concerns that I have. But I also want to flip the coin and say this. I don't believe all fathers are bad. And I don't believe that all fathers are deadbeats. I don't believe that. There are some fathers today that are actively involved in their children's lives. There are fathers today who do provide emotional support. There are fathers who are trying their very, very, very best to do the very best they know how to do to lead their family to Christ. Amen. We live in a society where the court system automatically takes the side of the mother and almost disregards the words of the father. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be, hypoc uh, be hip hypocritical today and encourage our mothers and beat up our dads today because we got some wonderful dads who are doing their very, very best 
in knowing, doing their very best that they know how to do. Listen, you may fail at some things. That's all right. But there's a difference between failing at things and being a failure. Just because you have failed at things doesn't mean you are a failure. And I want to give a great big God bless you to all of our dads who support their family, who loves their children, who loves their wife, who works a job every day under stress of this society and comes home and gives their wife and their kids the emotional attention that they're not perfect, but they're doing their best. And I want to say to these dads, we love you. We love you. And it's good once in a while that the, it's good once in a while that the wives and the mothers and the children learn how to appreciate their fathers. It's easy for us to point the fingers and saying, you don't do this and you don't do this and you need to do this, but maybe you need to walk in their shoes. Maybe you need to see the stress that they're under. Stressful trying to provide for people. It's stressful knowing that you, it's on you to work and pay the bills and take care of your children and spend adequate time with them. It's stressful, especially in the society that we live in. And I want to say thank you, fathers. I want to say thank you to the single fathers who is taking care of their kids and raising their children as a single dad. We want you to know that we appreciate single moms, but for years we've elevated single moms and forgot that there are some good dads that love their children and doing their very best, even as a single dad. We love you. We love you. We appreciate you. You see, I'm asking you fathers, I'm asking you fathers today, to continue to be the man that God has called you to be. Don't give up. In spite of the pressure, in spite of what you're going, don't ever give up. I want you, I want you to continue to be the man that God has called you to be. Listen, remember what I said a few weeks ago, encouragement means this, to put courage in. And when you begin to encourage people, when you begin to encourage your fathers, when you begin to encourage your spouse, what does it do? It puts courage into them and it strengthens them. If you want to zap their strength, you be critical of them. Listen, there is a fool in the inside of all of us. And whichever one you talk, there's a gentleman and a fool. And whichever one you talk to is the one that you might get. So if you talk to me like a fool, I'm going to respond like a fool. But if you talk to me like a king, I'm going to respond to you like a king. Somebody say amen. You see, whoever you talk to is the one that you'll get. And so we need to learn how to speak life into people. Speak encouragement into people. Amen? Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. I was praying the other day and the Lord gave me this scripture. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15. I think is what it is. Ronnie, it's not in there, but I want you to quickly find it if you can for me. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 15. I want you to see this scripture that I think is so vital, especially in our relationships, in a community of faith. The scripture says that, but if you bite and devour one another, beware, you will be consumed by one another. If we, if we bite one another and devour one another with our words, you will destroy one another. So your words are very, very, very important. So I want to look at this story this morning, the story of the prodigal son. And I want us to bring out some qualities about a Christian father. What is the qualities of a Christian father? And then I'm going to push the envelope and I'm going to say this. What is the qualities of a parent? Because I believe this all could apply to us today. And, and I want you to see the qualities of a father, but especially as a parent today. I want to give you the backdrop of the story that I just read to you in Luke chapter 15. It's a basic story. 
It's a parable that we've all heard. We assume it's a parable. And um, it, it could be a, a real story that he's, he's talking about here because Jesus says it was a certain man. Whether it's a real story or whether it's a parable, I want you to see what's happening in this story. There is a father who has two sons, all right? The younger son wanted to leave and take his inheritance. Now, of course, in Jewish, in the Jewish mindset and that Jewish culture, when you take your inheritance before the death of your parent, you, what you're actually saying to the parent is, you're not important to me, you're considered dead to me. And so here is a younger son. One of the younger sons goes to the father and says, I want all of my inheritance. I'm leaving home. So he leaves. He goes to a far country. He spends everything that he had. He spends his inheritance. He spends it. He leaves. And the Bible says he comes to himself, goes back to his father. And what does the father do? The father doesn't point his finger to his son, but the father opens up his arms, embraces his son, forgives his son, and not only forgives his son, but throws a party for his son. The older brother, the older, older brother became upset. The older brother said, listen, why are you celebrating my brother when he took his inheritance, he took your money, he spent your money, he disgraced our family name, and you forgave him, and not only forgave him, but you threw a party for him. And the brother became very upset. And that's the story that I want to look at today. So what is the qualities of a father, a Christian father, or what is a quality of a parent? And the first quality is this. Number one, you've got to see the quality of I release you. I release you. Number one, I release you. I want you to see here in verse number 12. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 12. Verse 11, and a certain man had two sons. Verse number 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. See, the father let the boy go. The father let the boy go. The boy said, give me my inheritance. Give me what rightfully belongs to me. And what did the father do? He gave it to his son and released the son. Listen, church, he was wise enough to know that the way to keep my son is to let him go. The way to keep my son is actually not to hold on to him tightly. Not to hold on to him tightly. The father did not say, the father didn't say to his son, when his son came to him and said, give me my inheritance. The father never said, can't you just be like your brother? Why are you doing this? You're breaking my heart. He never said that. You know what the father did? The father released him. But the father never gave up on him. I want you to see this. The father released him, but the father never gave up on him. The father released him, but the father never gave up on him. And as a parent and as a father, the way to hold on to your children is actually to let them go, to release them, to release them. I know that's hard. I know we don't want to hear that, but yet it is essential because the thing that you hold on tightly is the thing that you will lose. The thing that you try to control is the thing that in the end you will end up losing. The Father demonstrates a principle to all of us today is to hold things with an open fist. To hold things with an open arm. To hold things with an open hand. Learn how to release it. 
The Bible says in verse number 14, look at this. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 14. Luke 15 verse 14. And the Bible says when his son left and took his inheritance, the Bible says in verse number 14, and when he had spent all, everybody say all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. He began to be in want. You see that. And look at verse number 15. Then he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. Now listen to this, church. The boy came to his daddy and said, Dad, give me my inheritance. The father never argued with the son, but gave it to his son and released his son. But I also want you to know that when the son left and spent his inheritance, spent his the money that his father had worked all of his life, I mean, that's so disgraceful. Went and spent it all. And at the bottom of the barrel, the son said, I'm going to go back to my father. And why? Because nobody gave him anything. Now, I want you to notice something here that the father never ran to the son. The father never ran to the son. The father never ran to the son to satisfy his needs. And isn't that what the American culture do? When your baby gets in trouble, you run to him. When your son and your daughter is in trouble, the very first thing that we do is run to them and we bail them out of trouble and we call that love. But sometimes that's not love. That's enabling their problems. And I know, I know we don't want to hear that, but it is the truth. And the reason that he came to his senses in verse number 14, verse number 14, the reason that he came to his senses The reason he came to his senses is because nobody gave to him anything. Look at it. The Bible says in verse number 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare that I may perish here? He would have never came to his senses if the father would have bailed him out of the mess that he got himself in. Did you hear me? And sometimes we are hindering what God wants to do in our family because we're always bailing our children out. I'm going to preach it anyway. You say, preacher, you don't have no kids. Why are you talking about it? Just because I don't have no kids doesn't doesn't disqualify me to preach the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? And this goes with every area of our life. It's the same way with church. If you don't cater to people, you don't give them what they want, guess what they do? They just leave and go somewhere else. Because we don't like to have no. We want to be catered. We want to, we want to be taken out of our messes. We don't want to be taught how not to do it again. But we want to be delivered quickly from the circumstance. And here, the father never ran to satisfy his son's needs. He didn't run to satisfy it. And the reason the boy came to his senses is because... He didn't run and try to get him out of the mess that he was in. Does it hurt us? Of course it does. Of course, it's your baby. It's your children. It hurts you. It hurts you more than it hurts them. But you've got to understand something. That if you are praying for your kids and you're believing God to save your children and believing God to do something, then you, you cannot be an instrument of distraction when God is trying to work in their life. Can I hear an amen? 
Sometimes you just got to learn to release people and let God take care of it. Do you know why you got to release it? Because in the end, you can't save them. In the end, you can't fulfill their needs. In the end, you can't fix everything. Because the problem is not externally. The problem is internally. And sometimes we need to take our hands off of it and let God do the work that needs to be done inside. And we don't need to hinder it externally. Just take your hands off of it. Release it and let it go. And what happens? He came to his senses. Why did he come to his senses? Because nobody gave him anything. Nobody gave him anything. Because that's what sin does to you. Sin will take you to a far country. Isn't that what sin does? Sin takes you to a far country. The Bible says verse 13. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says that he took the money. He gathered it all together. Because that's what sin does. Sin makes you selfish. Sin causes you to gather everything to yourself. And the Bible says, and he wasted his possessions. That's what sin does. Look at it again. The Bible says, verse 13, he wasted it and he gathered it together. Because when you are selfish, that's the fruit of selfishness. Keeping it to yourself and you waste it. You waste it. He wasted it. He spent it there. And what does the Bible say in verse 13? He went to a far country. In verse number 13, you will see what sin does to you. Sin makes you selfish. It makes you gather it to yourself. Sin will make you go to a far country. In other words, it makes you go further from the Father. And number three, it makes you waste the things that's valuable in your life. Sin makes things wasteful. It destroys families. It destroys relationships. It destroys valuable things. And because the Father did not run to Him, the Father did not bail Him out of trouble. The Father did not run to Him. And the Bible says, what does the Bible say? He began to be in want. Verse 14, He began to be in want. Because that's what sin does. It makes you be in want. The Father never bailed Him out. The Father never rescued Him. The Bible says in verse number 16, verse number 16, He realized that nobody gave Him anything. The Father did not rescue Him. The Father did not bail Him out of trouble. And because of that, look at verse number 17. Verse number 17, He came to His senses. Do you know why He came to His senses? Because He realized His Father wasn't going to bail Him out. His Father wasn't going to rescue Him. And He had to try to come to His senses be logical about this and realize, listen, there's no need for me to live this way when I can go back and be in the security of my father's house. I'm telling you, when you begin to release people, when you begin to release people, that's when God begins to work. When you take your hands off, God puts his hands on. When you take your mouth off of it, God puts his mouth on it. When you stop trying to be God and trying to rescue people out of all of their troubles, then God will begin to work in their life. It's hard. Nobody says it's hard. And do you know why it's hard? Because very few people do it. Because it's hard. Your emotions are involved. It doesn't mean you don't love your children. It doesn't mean you don't care for them. It doesn't mean you don't want the best for them. But sometimes as Christian parents, we need to realize if we're praying for God to be involved in their life and to transform their life and change their life, sometimes we got to take our hands off. And what happens, verse 17, he came to his senses... And the Bible says he came to his senses. And what did he say? He said to himself, how many is in my father's house that has hired servants that I should perish here? Now look at verse number 18. He said, I will arise and go to my father. 
I will arise and go to my father. Now look at verse number 20. Verse number 20, and he arose and came to his father. That is the progression of repentance. You see it? Look at it. Verse number 17, he came to his senses. He came to himself. He came in his mind. His mind said, I don't need to live this way. The Bible says, verse 18, his will, his soul. He said, I'm going to arise. He said in his mind, his heart said, I'm going to rise. And what does it say? Verse number 20, and he arose. Repentance happens internally before it happens externally. It happens internally before it happens externally. He said it within himself before he actually arose. And there are some people that come to this altar and they repent, but it's not a true repentance because they did not take care of it internally before their feet begin to move. Did you hear me today? It, it has to happen internally and it happens externally. In the Old Testament, repentance dealt with outward expressions of repentance. In the Old Testament, they would pull their clothes and put sackcloth and ashes and they would pray towards the temple. They would make sacrifices. They did external things. But in the New Testament, repentance is internally. But if you put them both together, repentance starts internally and it's carried externally. Can I hear an amen? So, so that's exactly what began to happen in this scripture. Number one, the thing that all of us can learn from this story is that you, we sometimes we got to release things. Now, maybe you're not a father today and maybe you're not a parent, but this is still applicable to your spiritual life. There are some things we just need to know to release. You got to give it up. You can't control it. You can't fix it. You can't, you can't, you, you can't talk about it. Sometimes you got to move on without closure. Sometimes you got to learn to release things and let it go. Amen. Take your hands off of it. Number two, the second quality that I want you to see is not only I release you, but number two, I receive you. I receive you. I receive you. What happens in this scripture when the prodigal son came to his senses, when he came to his senses, but the Bible says, verse number 20, and he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great far off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here, kill it. Let's eat and be married. This is my son. He was dead. He's alive now. He was lost. He's found. And they begin to be merry. So number two, I receive you. Listen to me. Not only do you have to let things go, but you also got to learn how to receive things. And sometimes as fathers and sometimes as men, we don't want to receive things. We think we should do it all ourselves. We should be the sole provider. We should do it. We'll fix it. We'll take care of it. But that's a sign of pride. And sometimes you've got to dismantle pride and learn that sometimes in life, you've got to have the ability to receive things. You've got to have the ability to receive things. Amen. You're not the total package. You can't do everything. You've got to learn how to receive things. And this father here could have said, you know what? You disgraced my name. You're not going to live under my roof after you spent my money and you slept with harlots and you defamed my name and disgraced my name. You're not going to come back to my house. But that's not what the father did. He let go of his pride and said, you know what? I, 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 let, I let it go. Come back home. What happens? 
is the boy, did you see what the Scriptures The boy was walking, but the father was running. The boy was walking, but the father was running. The principle is this, that God is excited about reconciliation. He's more excited about reconciliation than you are reconciling. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to shout on a Sunday morning that God loves reconciliation. The Bible says, I love this, out of this whole Scripture, this is what this means to me. Verse number 20, He arose, came to His Father, and when He was still a great far off, His Father saw Him, had compassion. And what did the Bible say? Verse 20, and ran. Ran to, the Father ran. You would think that the Son would be running. But do you know why the Son wasn't running? The Son was exhausted. The Son felt guilty and shameful. The Son was thinking all the way to His Father's house. I'm wondering what my Father is going to say to me. I wonder if He's going to receive me back after I spend His money. He's walking to the Father feeling guilty and shameful and the Rolodex of questions in his mind. He's walking in hopes that his Father would receive him. He's walking in hopes that his Father would receive him again. But the Bible says when the Father saw him a great far off, the Father began to run to him. I don't know about you, but God is excited to be reconciled to you and reconciled to me. Even in the midst of my shame, in the midst of my guilt, in the midst of my depression, in the midst of my fault. It was my fault. In the midst of all of that, God says, I'm excited to see you again. Hallelujah. And sometimes we don't feel that way. Hugs him. Kisses him. Receives him. Puts a robe on him. A ring. And gets the best food out. Because the quality of a parent, the quality of a Christian, the quality of a father is not only releasing things, but also receiving things. He said, I receive you back. I receive you back. The same love that was tough enough to let him go, was tender enough to receive him back. There was no crossed arms, no pointed fingers, nowhere, no statements like, where have you been? I told you so. Where's all my money at? No questions, no condemnation, no derogatory statements. All the Father saw all the son saw was the father running. That's all. He was running to him. See, that's what I call grace. That's what I call grace. And I want to let all of you know and those who are watching online that Jesus Christ loves you and that Jesus is more excited about you than you are about Him. And it doesn't matter how shameful you feel, how guilty you feel, or how far you have left and how far you are away from the Father's house. You can't go far enough because the Father will run to right where you're at. It's grace! grace let's suppose I'm in my car and I'm driving down the road and I am going I'm going 60 in a 25 hour you know lane I get pulled over by the police 
police comes to me, knocks, I roll down the window. He says, sir, do you know how fast you were going? And I would say, yeah, I'm sorry, sir. Wasn't paying attention. I deserve it. The reason I can talk about this is because I probably have done this several times in my life. But So anyway, so he, write, <laughs> he writes me a ticket and gives me a ticket. That's what you call justice. Everybody shout justice. Right? So I got what was coming to me. Now, let's suppose I'm driving down the road in my car. I'm going 60 and a 25. I get pulled over. The police officer comes to the window. I roll down the window. He says, sir, do you realize how fast you are going? I said, yes, sir. I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention. I shouldn't have done it. He looks at me. He says, you know what? I'm having a good day today. Just don't do it again. You're free to go. Do you know what I call that? Mercy. Somebody say amen. So you see justice. You see mercy. But let's, let me give you another example. Let's suppose I'm in my car and I'm going 60 in a 25. He pulls me over. I roll down my window. He says, sir, do you realize how fast you were going? I said, yes, sir. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. He looks at me. I'm expecting a ticket. I'm hoping for mercy. But all of a sudden, he pulls out his checkbook, opens his checkbook, and writes me a check and gives it to me. I take the check and look at the check, and I'm like, I thought I was going 60 in a 25. You're not mad at me. You're giving me a check. You're giving me money? That's what I call grace. That's grace. You get something you don't deserve. Justice, you get what's coming to you. Mercy, you don't get what you deserve. But grace, when you get something you don't deserve. I don't know about you. I think we all need to stand this morning and say, God, I got a whole lot of things in my life I don't even deserve, but I want to tell you thank you. Thank you. Come on, is there anybody can just say thank you? Come on, church. I said, is there anybody that can raise your hands and say thank you for the grace of God on my life? Woo! Sister Kay, I'm getting something I don't deserve. This man, you may be seated, don't. The boy did not deserve. He didn't deserve a party. He didn't deserve a robe. He doesn't deserve a ring. Grace. Justice, you get what you deserve. Mercy, you don't get what you deserve. But grace, you get something when you don't deserve it. You see, 
This story is not just about parenting. This story is about God's gracious act of grace. Getting something you don't deserve. As, as parents, just as leaders, because I use this as leaders, as a parent, leader, whatever your role in, in life is, I want to give you a few things that starts with an L that, that I don't want you to forget. I want you to love people. Number two, I want you to lift them up. I want you to limit people. You've got to limit your children. Somebody say amen. You've got to lead them. And you've got to laugh with them. Love them. You've got to lift them up with encouragement. Love them. Then you lift them up with encouragement. Then you limit them. All right? You put boundaries in their life because you love them. You lead them by example. Then don't forget to laugh with them. And in closing, the last quality that you see in this story is not only I release, I receive, but the last quality is I hear. I hear. I hear you. Look at this. The Bible says in verse number 25, in the last section of this story, verse number 25, now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry because he didn't understand grace. He was angry. It would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you have, excuse me, never gave me a young goat that I might be married with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours come, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive now. was lost, but now is found. Number three is not only I release things. I learn how to receive things, but I also, I hear. I hear you. I release you. I receive you. I hear you. It's interesting to me that in the story, now I'm a firm believer. I love to study Scripture. I've, you know, I've, I've loved to study Scripture. And I really believe that maybe the climax of the story, the focal point of this story is probably not the lost son. It's probably the other son. Us learning how to respond correctly to grace. Some of us have a very hard time. Listen to pastor. Some of us have a very hard time responding when we see somebody blessed and favored when you know what they've done, how they've acted, and where they went you know the story of their life and it's very hard for you to give grace to somebody like that. And I'm preaching much better than any of you is not in this morning because you know I'm telling the truth. Because we automatically put black check marks against people. We're not, we're not graceful, folks. We're not. That's not in our nature to be graceful. We write people off all the time. And we have in the Rolodex of our mind why people don't need what they need. We put people in categories. They deserve grace. You know, well, he's my friend. and Certainly, I'm going to give more grace to him. But this person over here, you know, I'll just give him mercy. 
but not grace. And so therefore, it's, it's a hard concept. And the story, I believe, this, this story, this narrative, is really how to respond when I see people having grace extended to them when I feel like they don't deserve it. I think that's what the story's about. Because if you look at chapter 15 at the beginning of the story, he's talking about Pharisees and Sadducees. Am I right? And how they were being critical. And Jesus told this story because the older brother was the Pharisee and Sadducee. Now, I want you to notice, I'm almost done, I want you to notice what the Father does. In verse number 28, the Father, the Bible says in verse number 28, but when He was angry, He would not go in. The Son was angry and He didn't go in. Didn't go in where? He didn't go to the party. Therefore, His Father came out and pleaded with Him. So what did the Father do? The Father listened to Him. The Father heard Him. The Father left the party. Remember, there's a party going on. They're celebrating the Son. That was lost, but now is found. The son that came home, there's a great celebration. The son has a robe on. The son has a ring on. The, the fatted calf is being slaughtered. They're just eating and marrying. I mean, there, there's great music going on. And the son, the other son, has an attitude. And what does the father do? The father leaves the party and goes outside to listen to the son. I love it. Sometimes... Listening is a very hard concept. We want to put walls up. But the father here built bridges. He built a bridge. He didn't put a wall up. He came out and listened. And the reason I know he listened is because after he... The, the reason I know he listened because he came out. Look at it. The Bible says in verse number 28... He was angry. The son was angry. He wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, who answered? The boy answered the father. So they were having a conversation. They were listening to one another. The father was listening to the son. And the son began to open up. And what did the son say? The son said, Father, I've been with you all these years. Father, I've never transgressed your commandments. Father, you've never done this and you've never done this. You never gave me a goat and you never let me be merry with my friends. So the father was listening to him. The father is standing there listening to the son say, you never, you never, you never, you never, you never. Have you ever felt that way before? Standing there and the person is pointing their finger at you saying, you never, you never, you never. The father in compassion stood there and listened to the Son. And isn't it interesting to me that verse 29, say, look at that verse. I want you to count how many eyes is in this verse. And lo, these many years, I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young guy. That I, you see the point? The boy is selfish. The boy is self-centered. And when you're self-centered, it becomes about I. And once in a while in our Christian life, we've got to do an eye exam. We've got to do an eye exam in our Christian life. He was in self-pity. I, 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 I. And what does self-pity do? 
self-pity hinders two things. Verse number 28, self-pity hinders happiness. Look at verse number 28. Luke 15, verse 28. He was angry and would not go in. He wouldn't go in where? He didn't go to the party. So self-pity hinders happiness. People who are all about themselves are not happy people. If it's all about you and your family and all about your job, all about your life, you're never, you're never going to be happy. Because you were never created to do that. When it's all about you, you are not happy. He didn't go to his brother's party. And what does it hinder? Verse number, not only does it hinder happiness, but it hinders harmony. Look at verse number 30. It hinders harmony. Look at what the son says to the father. But as soon as this son of yours came, who devoured the livelihood with the harlots. Do you see what this boy said? The boy never said, my brother. The boy never said to his father, my brother devoured your livelihood. But what does he do? He's sarcastic. He's wallowing in his self-pity. And he looks at his daddy and said, the son of yours, your son. In other words, to tell his father, it's not my brother anymore. Because that's what self-pity does. Self-pity hinders happiness. And self-pity will hinder harmony in relationships. If you want a relationship to work, you've got to be the most generous person in the relationship. You've got to own up to it. You've got to be the Christian. You've got to be the man. You've got to be the woman of God. You've got to be the leader. And this boy wasn't going to be the leader. This boy wasn't going to demonstrate anything about Christ. This boy wasn't going to demonstrate generosity, compassion, grace. It was about himself. Self-pity. I, 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 I. But you know what the father did? The father looks at him. And this is what I love about the story. I love this. When I read this story, I had never seen this before. But I read it again and I saw two great things that the Father said. And when I read it, I thought to myself, isn't that just like the Heavenly Father? He, the Father gives His Son two things, reminded His Son of two things. It's in verse 31. Look at it. In the end of the story, the Father reminded the Son of two things. He said to Him, Son, you know, the Son is complaining. You never did it. You never did it. You never did it. And the father, after he was done, he listened to his son. After he was finished, then the father said, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. I know you're complaining about your brother, that I'm doing all of this for your brother. But let me remind you that you're always with me. And anything I ever had was always yours. I never stopped you from having a party. I never stopped you from doing any of it. It's all yours anyway. And the father reminded his son who had an attitude. The son who was wallowing in self-pity, he reminded him of two things. Presence. I'm always with you. Number two, all that I have is yours. Presence, provision. And isn't that what a father does? A father is there presently. He's there physically, emotionally. He's present. A father listens because he's present. 
A father releases. He receives. He's present. He's present there physically and emotionally and spiritually, but he also knows how to provide. That's the example of the ultimate father. And I want to say to all the parents today, you say, Pastor, oh, that was a that's wonderful sermon, great things, but I'm hurting. Hurting because my kids are not with me. I'm hurting because I have a son or a daughter that I can't be with. I'm hurting because my relationship is broken and I think it's my fault. But let me remind you of something so great. The greatest Father of all, which is our Heavenly Father. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, He had two children. Adam and Eve. He made them in His likeness. He put them in a garden called Eden. Because the Bible says He, God, the Father, wanted to walk with them and talk with them. Have fellowship with them. One day, both of them messed up. Now the question is, was it God's fault? Was it the Father's fault that the two of His kids messed up? No. It wasn't God's fault that they messed up. He was the perfect Father. And let me tell you this, church. If the perfect Father had two children that messed up, then you need to be free today and know that you can't be responsible for everybody's decisions. You can't be responsible for what they do or what they say. Because there is an ultimate father that was hurt. And they messed up in the garden. The Bible says he came walking in the cool of the day and said, Adam, where are you? Adam? It's the same, same thing that happens in the book of Matthew, right? The wise men came walking from afar and said, where is he? Because that's what God, that's, that's what God's about. Genesis. Where are you, Adam? Matthew, where is he? Because God's always looking for us. God's always searching for us. He's been searching for us since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve fell, didn't they? So God had another son. His name was Jesus. The scripture says he's the second Adam. He came to reverse what the first Adam did. And this time, what happened? He come up out of the water. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The father affirmed his son. And that affirmation that the father gave his son was the ability that Jesus had for three and a half years. For three and a half years. Because Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, rulers, what did they do? They mocked him. They called him names. They said he was of the devil. But that was all right. You know why? Because Jesus got his father's approval at the beginning of his ministry. And when he got his father's approval at the beginning of his ministry, he didn't need their approval in his ministry. And sometimes... We, we lose it in life because we want everybody's approval. But Jesus got 
His approval. So it didn't matter whether they approved of Him or not in His ministry. Because at the beginning of His ministry, He got the Father's approval. The Father affirmed Him. The Father loved Him. The Father loved Him. The Father loved Him. Adam, where are you at? The second Adam. This is my son. He's going to fix what my first child did. Maybe it's God has some children. You've got to decide today. Am I going to be the, the child that demands give me, give me? Or I'm going to be the child that's going to celebrate with other people. You've got to learn, listen, you've got to learn to have a party when everybody else is mad at you. You've got to learn to be secure when everybody's upset. Believe me, believe me. People get mad at me because I don't shake hands. i just got to learn to have a party whether you're mad at me or not. Isn't that ridiculous? People just get mad at you. They think I'm God or not. You know, I'm, I'm, let me, can I break it down to you? I am not God. I don't know if you're in the hospital. I don't see all things, nor do I know all things. Can I hear an amen? I'm not God. You got to learn to have a party. Got to learn to have a party. When everybody else is upset, you got to learn to have a party without them. And that takes a lot of security, a lot of confidence. Because we want to go out and try to defend ourselves and make it right. Just got to learn to have a party without him. You see, never saw this. I'm going to stop. Maybe it's an issue of credit and debt. The, the son that's mad, that's a debt. He better pay back. He spent too much. But the father gave him credit. Gave him something he didn't deserve. And I think that's, I think that's, I think maybe that's a, a point of the story. We're either debtors or creditors. In life, you either make people feel like they're in debt or you give them credit for something they don't deserve. And I have found out life is much better when I just give people credit. Because if I'm always putting people in debt that they owe me something, I will live a miserable life. That's why I don't, I don't loan money, I give money. I don't live my life in a state where people got to always give me something. I live my life where there is no strings attached. I live a free and generous life. Free and generous life. You're either a debtor or you are somebody that gives credit. This is the Christian father.